Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Psalm 72. There was a National Association of Evangelicals. They had a convention years ago, and Ronald Reagan spoke to them, and they were very impressed. In fact, they began to cheer, uh, cheer wildly and, and loudly. And then Charles Colson, he got to the mic and he rebuked them by saying, the kingdom of God does not arrive on Air Force One. And that's true, isn't it? God's kingdom arrives with God's king, and God's king is King Jesus his son. We wait for his kingdom, don't we? To arrive fully. And we pray that it might come, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that it is in heaven. And we know that his kingdom alone is truly righteous. And his kingdom alone will never pass away. It was November of 2000. I remember I was watching the TV and I was anxiously awaiting the results of a presidential election. I discussed this with my roommate at the time, how monumental this day was going to be. We would all be affected by this election, not just as individuals, but, of course, as a, as a nation. Some of you remember that night. Some of you stayed up all night waiting on the election results, and they never came. I remember falling asleep and getting up in the morning anxious to uh, anticipating the results. Would it be Al Gore or be George W. Bush that were going to be our next president? We've had elections since then that were equally as nerve-wracking, right? Why all the fuss? Why all the anxiety? The anxiety that, that we feel during those times, not just in November, but, but any time there's an important election, there, these anxieties are present because you and I know that as the leader goes, so goes the whatever, right? So goes the country, so goes the corporation, so goes the church, so goes the family, right? Yeah, and, you know, presidents, they don't, they don't have this autonomous control, but they have a position of major influence over our lives, over the nation. As the leader goes, so goes the people. And we have an uh, election day on Tuesday, and I want to encourage you to, to go and vote. And we say, well, why would you encourage that from the pulpit? Because I lived a decade in a communist country, and I would encourage you to take that privilege and exercise it and use it. And you say, well, who do I vote for? Well, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to tell you how to vote. Okay? Some of you are getting like, hey, what's that joke fixing to say, right? This is how you vote. You vote just like you discipline your children, just like you drive your car, just like you play. Just like you work, you vote to the glory of God. Amen? Yeah, so that's what you do. Who you vote for, that's up to you. You do it to the glory of God. So I encourage you to do that. But we do place a lot of uh, emphasis and importance on these elections. And because as the leader goes, so goes the nation. And 
Israel felt similarly about their leader, the king of Israel. He was thought to have a special relationship with God, so much so that their worship often included concerns about their king. He was the agent of God. He was the mediator of God's blessing to the people. When things were good with the king, things went well with the people. As their leader went, so went the nation. We're in the middle of a series on the Psalms. Remember, there are no chapters. It's not Psalm chapter 72. It's just Psalm 72, right? And it's not Psalms 72, plural. It's Psalm 72. And this psalm is entitled a psalm uh, of Solomon, which means it could have been written by Solomon or for Solomon. And I, I believe that it's probably written for Solomon, but that's you can beg to differ, and that would be okay. But it's a royal psalm, a coronation psalm. And if you remember, as we talked about the different types of psalms, there's many different types. There's psalms of lament. There's wisdom psalms. The psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. We talked through that psalm. Brother Adam talked through Psalm 126, which is a psalm of ascent. As they're going to worship in Jerusalem at the temple, they would sing this psalm in preparation. There's Thanksgiving psalm. In two weeks, we'll be studying this Thanksgiving psalm. There's penitential psalms, right? The I'm sorry psalms. We looked at Psalm 32. Also, imprecatory psalms. Remember Psalm 41, verse 7, Raise me up that I may repay my enemies. Well, what do we do with that? It's hard for us to reconcile those. I'm going to dash your children against the rocks kind of verses with Jesus' New Testament teachings. But what do we do with that? We've looked at one of those psalms already, and we'll look at... uh, more in the future. But this is a royal psalm. It's composed to highlight a specific event in the life of a a king of Israel. Maybe it's a wedding. Maybe it's a battle. Maybe it's an inauguration. Some of these even are what we consider messianic because they point to Jesus, and that's the case with our psalm this morning. And even though God is only addressed in verse 1 of this psalm, the rest of the verses should be read as petitions to God on behalf of the king. They're praying for the king. Because as the leader goes, so goes the people. If all, is well with the, if all is well with the king, all is well with Israel. It appears to be connected to Solomon. That's, I think there's no argument against that. Look at verses 1 and 2. God is asked to give the king's son. Remember, Solomon was David's son, right? He's asked to give the king's son righteousness and ask that the king judge with righteousness and Justice And what does that bring to mind? It brings to mind Solomon when he was inaugurated. What did God said, I'll give you whatever you ask for. And what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom to govern the people, right? And he, he, that was a good petition, wasn't it? Also in verse 15, it talks about the gold brought by Sheba. We think about 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of Sheba, right? Bringing a gift of gold to Solomon. And that, but there's no reason for us to believe that this royal psalm, this coronation psalm, was only prayed for Solomon, but is prayed for all of those who came after him as well. The first stanza, verses 1 through 4, it lays a foundation for the rest of the psalm. If the king judges in righteousness and justice, all will be blessed. He petitions the Lord here in verse 3 and 4. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. We're going to mention that more specifically in later stanzas. But look at stanza 2, verse 5 and 7. 
5 through 7 here, there's a request for the king to have an enduring rule. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all the generations. Remember, notice, remember we talked about parallelism when we look at wisdom literature, right? You have two lines that say the same thing. We see that here. There's this prayer for this enduring rule. As long as a king ruled righteously, the people will be blessed. So, of course, what do they want his rule to do? They want his rule to continue. So they would continue to be blessed, right? The idea behind, that, that's the idea behind politics today, right? Keep the one who benefits you the most in office the longest, right? As long as the king ruled rightly, the people would be blessed. Verse 7. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. In other words, may your rule continue on and on and on. Look at the third stanza, verse 8 through 11. We're going to walk through these rather quickly. Not only does the psalmist ask the Lord to give the king an enduring rule, a lasting rule, but also a worldwide rule. Look at verse 8. May have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Anytime you see the river, typically that's the, the river Euphrates. That's to the east. That's the farthest they knew to the east, right? Verse 10, he asks that the king of Tarshish and all the islands bring tribute, bring presents, which is the farthest city to the west that they knew. The kings of Seba and Sheba mentioned in verse 10. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Now, where was that located? That was in the south. The the southernmost part of Israel is Seba, and Sheba was actually located in the southwest from them in Ethiopia. And then he mentions in verse 9 that the the nomads from the desert licking the dust, which is a sign of submission and defeat, right? And then verse 11. Notice how all-inclusive this request is. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. So the psalmist wanted the king's rule to be expansive. As far east as we know, as far west as we know, as far south as we know, even into the desert, they're praying that his Rule would be expansive. The psalmist also asked that the Lord's rule be enduring. Expansive, but also compassionate. Look at verse 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. He also prays that he would be a compassionate king, right? And this is the major characteristic in this psalm. Because having an enduring rule and an expansive rule is conditional upon the king's treatment of the less fortunate. Look back up to verse 4. You want your king to be compassionate? Yeah, look at verse 4. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Yeah, the cry is for the king to be compassionate, be good to those who need help, be benevolent, rescue those mistreated, rescue them from their oppressors. And the Israelite king, although he had a, a, a vast rule at times, remember King David and King Solomon, they had a vast rule, ruled over much land, much territory. 
but they were judged differently than the Babylonian kings and the Egyptian kings and the Assyrian kings. They were those pagan kings were they were judged by how many people they ruled over, right? How oppressive they were by their military campaigns and their building projects. But the Israelite king was to be judged by how he took care of the poor and the needy. By ignoring the politics of power, God's king would gain power. It's right the opposite of the pagan kings. Power is gained not by grasping for more, but by helping the least. Yeah, this is God's spokesperson. This is God's representative on earth. Of course, he's to be compassionate. The Israelite king, he had to intervene on behalf of the little guy. He's to be a kinsman redeemer for those who need one. And I think about, I've shared this story before. I grew up on Beaver Road about a mile and, and a half from here. And in our neighborhood, I was the youngest boy. And there was a lot of boys in our, in our street. And they were all two, three, four, five years older than myself, which now, you know, if you're two years older than me, it's not a big deal. But when you're, you know, elementary school and middle school, two, three, four years, that was a big deal. Sometimes the difference between a boy and a man, right? But my yard was the, the playground of the street because I had the biggest yard where we could play football. And I also had a, a basketball um, court that had concrete where most people had dirt, right? And so everybody, every day, they would come to my house to play, and, which was great when they let me play. But being the runt, being the youngest, guess what? When they would pick teams, who got picked last? Yeah, me, yeah. And if they would put me on a team, you know, as a, a token of their appreciation for using my yard, my ball, right? They would let me be on the team, but a lot of times they wouldn't throw me the ball. Unless Mark Gross was there. Mark was about five years my senior, but he was good to me. And when Mark was there, I got picked first usually. And I got the ball thrown to me many times. And if someone was picked on me, well, it didn't happen when Mark was there. Because Mark was one of the older boys and he took care of me. Yeah, he was good to me. And that was the role of the the psalmist prayed the king would have in Israel. Because if the king was compassionate, he would have this long and expansive rule. And what did that do? That benefited the, the nation, the people. So there's this petition for the... The psalmist is asking the Lord to give this king an enduring rule and a worldwide rule and this compassionate rule, but also a prosperous rule. Look at stanza 5, verse 15 and 16. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Remember, the king is the, he's the mediating agent between God and the people. So what's the psalmist asking for the king to be affluent? You wanted the king to do well. You wanted his crops to be fruitful. Blessings be abundant. Notice the gold mentioned, the grain and the fruit there in verse 16. The Lebanon, what, what do you think of when you think of Lebanon from the scriptures? You think of what? The cedars of Lebanon, right? The trees, and, and remember, this is Palestine. It's tree-poor country. And Lebanon was kind of like, we, we sometimes speak of Tipton County this way. You, you say, well, I'm going 
back to Tipton County, that's God's country, right? Or some, some people might say Arkansas is God's. Not many, not many, but there's one or two would say Arkansas is God's country, right? right. <laughs> yeah, but Lebanon in the Bible, that's God's country, right? Why? Because trees were so abundant and were so plentiful. Yeah. And so, in fact, Psalm 104, verse 16, refers to the, these trees as the ones that God planted. Yeah. Look at verse 17. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him and all the nations call him blessed. So you see, you, there's this prayer that they would be, that his fields would be abundant and that he would be prosperous and that people, not just the, the cross, but the people, that the people would grow and multiply, right? Yeah. That's, in those days, that's, Signs of plenty, signs of prosperity, wealth was all ancient. The ancient measures of wealth was in gold and fruit and people. But verse 17, petition that all mankind be blessed through the king. And on Wednesday nights, for those of you who have been there in our study, we've been talking about the covenants, right? And we talked about the Abrahamic covenant. What was the Abrahamic covenant all about, Morgan? What was the promise? Yeah, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. What else, Nathan? You remember? What other promise? Yeah, through you, Abraham, and through your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Yeah, the Abrahamic covenant. And we see that here in verse 17. He's praying that that would take place. May his name endure forever. His fame continues along the sun. May people be blessed in him and all, what, nations call him blessed. Yeah, if the king prospered, everybody is blessed, right? All the nations. Now, this psalm is clearly written for who? It's a prayer for who? It's a prayer to God for the kings, right? Clearly, this is a prayer for the Davidic kings, for Solomon and all those who follow him. Now, remember when we talked about wisdom literature, we began to talk about these psalms, we, we said there's things we want to pay attention to. What were they? Do you remember? So, well, when we're reading the Psalms and studying the Psalms, we have to think about this figurative language, this exaggeration, if you will. It's, it's figurative. It's not to be taken literally. So we need to take that, all that hyperbolic language, we need to put it in our own words and summarize it. And then we said, watch the parallelism, right? When you have two lines and they're saying the same thing, right? We need to pay attention to that. Put that in your own words. But another thing we, we said we we're going to do is we're going to determine the original meaning of the text before we try to apply it to our lives. And so, Amanda, this text clearly is for a prayer for the king of Israel, praying that they be prosperous, that his, his, his rule is expansive, widespread, that his, his Rule is enduring, it lasts a long time. Because as the king is blessed, so are we blessed, the people that he rules over. So this psalm is very clearly a coronation psalm, a royal psalm. It, we're, it's a prayer that would be lifted up for the king, whether it was Solomon or Rehoboam or whoever came after him. But, but I want to... Help us kind of walk through this for a second. What happens when the prophets recognize that their kings aren't judging righteously? The kings aren't judging 
rightly. I mean, the prayer is, if you judge rightly, God's going to bless. Not only the king going to be blessed, but the people are going to be blessed. But what happens to the prophets when they recognize that's not happening? The opposite is true. You're not going to have a prosperous rule. It's not going to be expansive, and it's not going to be enduring. And that, that happened, didn't it? 722 B.C., the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, drug them off into exile, lost tribes of Israel, right? 586, what happened? It's the southern kingdom. The Babylonians came, drug them off into exile. Yeah. And the prophets, they knew this, didn't they? They saw it, and, and they prophesied about it. And so as this is, is happening, there's a, a new hope for a new type of king, not like the sinful kings that they had. And in fact, David and Solomon, as righteous as they were, they let us down, didn't they? They let their country down, right? Solomon had many wives. David, Uriah, and Bathsheba, right? But Isaiah chapter 9, during the time before the Babylonian captivity, there was a hope for a new type of king. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Zeal, the Lord of hosts, will do this. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for you, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So these prophets, they begin to have a hope of a new type of king. In this psalm, it's messianic. It's pointing towards a new type of king. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10 this psalm is not quoted in the New Testament, but it is quoted in Zechariah chapter 9, one of the minor prophets. I will, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, recognize that, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Here's quoted in Zechariah. And then verse 9, which is quoted in the New Testament, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here you have these two verses back to back. Zechariah definitely thought of this psalm as a messianic psalm, pointing to a new type of king. Yes, was this psalm prayed for, used to, as, they, as the, the Israelites prayed for Solomon, for Rehoboam, and all the kings that came after them? Yes. But it's ultimately fulfilled in one to come. The one that the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets spoke about. And we know that to be Jesus. So application for us as we wind down. And we said as we apply this psalm, those notes are in your worship guide. And so we're going to apply this by answering three questions. The first question is, how does this psalm inform our minds? What effect does it have on how we think about God and ourselves? 
well, this psalm is ultimately fulfilled. We have to know that it's ultimately fulfilled in, in Christ. His rule is righteous and just. In fact, he is called the righteous one in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. His, his rule is righteous. So how do we apply this? Well, we, did, we need to know that yeah, King Jesus, his rule is righteous. The psalmist prayed that the king would have an enduring rule, and Jesus' rule is not only enduring, but it's eternal, right? David and Solomon, they ruled for 40 years, and then they died. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, of, the, of these earthly Israelite kings, they were and are not, but Jesus forever is. Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ, and he will reign, how long? Forever and ever. Yeah, his rule is eternal. The psalmist prayed for the Lord, for, for their king to have a worldwide expansive rule. But Jesus, who conquered sin and death by dying on the cross and rising from the dead, will one day have everyone acknowledge his supremacy. And at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Notice those two all-inclusive statements, Hayden. Every knee and every tongue. There's not going to be one knee and one tongue that's not going to be submitted to Christ. His rule is and will be expansive, will be universal. Christ's rule is also compassionate. The psalmist asked the king to to be a deliverer and helper, to be a savior, to be a redeemer. Well, guess what? Jesus was those things. What did Jesus do? Bartimaeus, remember? Bartimaeus is blind. He hears that Jesus walking by. What's he say? Jesus, son of David, what? Have mercy on me. What did Jesus do? He had mercy on him, right? Not only he, but many, many others. But he didn't just heal. That's not the most important thing he did. The most important thing he did is that he redeemed lost humanity, right? He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his chosen possession, zealous for good deeds. Yeah. Those who are needy and weak and victimized only need to cry out to the one who alone can meet their needs. This is King Jesus. He has a compassionate rule. And the psalmist prayed that the Israelite king's rule would be prosperous. Well, Jesus' rule is prosperous. Verse 17, let all the nations call him blessed. For us... All who place our faith and trust in Christ will be blessed. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So this psalm, we need to know that it finds its ultimate fulfillment in in Jesus. Okay? Second question, application question. You see it in your worship guide? How does this psalm stir our hearts? Well, believers, be encouraged. As the leader goes, so go, so goes the whatever, right? So goes the church, so goes the nation, so goes, the, so goes the, the business, so goes the family, right? Aren't you glad your leader is the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Yeah. Third question, how can this psalm transform our actions? Look at verse 18 and 19. 
he, he lifts this petition up to the Lord on behalf of the king in verse 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. He lifts up this petition to the Lord and then burst out in praise. That we have this doxology. So how can this psalm transform our actions? When's the last time you just praise the Lord? Just praise him, told him how good he was. C.S. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. So you can say, boy, this, man, that, that turkey and dressing was so good. Well, you enjoy eating it, but you know what you also enjoy? You also enjoy saying, man, that was good. And that's the way it is with the Lord. Yeah, we enjoy all the blessings in Christ. But we also enjoy saying, man, God, you're good. Yeah, it helps us experience that joy more, more fully, doesn't it? It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Yeah, when's the last time we just spent time praising the Lord for what He's done for you? It's a delight to praise Him. Him whose rule is characterized by such compassion, Right? To the non-believer, if you're here and you've never repented of your sin and trusted Christ, I want to admonish you and plead with you to repent. Jesus died to set us free. He died so that sinners could be reconciled to a holy God. He was nailed to a tree on the third day. After being buried, he rose from the dead so we could be justified. And what does that mean? That means that your sin debt can be paid. But it won't be paid if you repent. Turn from your sin and you trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. So that's our application today. Believer, let's praise the Lord for what he's done. We have a king who has an, a prosperous rule, an eternal rule. He'll reign forever and ever and ever. It's expansive. Every knee and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. And think about all the blessings we receive because of what Christ has done for us. Lost person, repent. Turn from your sin and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own and be saved even today. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.